All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. This is our weekly, um, what do you call cave exploring? Spelunk? Spelunking? It's our weekly Kabbalah spelunking experience. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's the week of Thanksgiving. And so I feel like in the context of Thanksgiving, I want to express my gratitude to all of you for, you know, every week for joining together to study Kabbalah and to get our week started with some spiritual inspiration. It's a very special thing, and I'm grateful for you all being here. So thank you. All right, let's begin. So Kabbalah speaks of 10 Svirot. This is something that we've explored at length in these classes. Please take and pass. Please take and pass. Um, and today I want to speak about this in the context of masculine and feminine energies and male and female. Okay, so if you look at the chart, you'll see there, we have enough copies, I think we do. Uh, you'll see 10 spherot. The, the front of this um, uh, chart is in Hebrew. The back of the chart is in English. So depending on how it was passed around, either you're seeing Hebrew or English. What I'm going to do is I'm going to also share my screen. And in doing so, everyone that's joining online can also see what we are talking about. Okay. Sandrine, have, you've probably never seen this chart before, so I want to <laughs> introduce you to this, uh, to this chart. Okay. So let's, best, the easiest way is going to be to look at this. I'm on the English side. That way we can all be, you know, can all read it together. So if you look at this chart, you'll see that there are 10 energies. These are known as the spherot. These exist in the cosmic realms. They also exist within the human being. And when we understand them within the human being, it's easier to understand them the way they appear in, um, in, in, the, in the cosmic realm. So what I want to focus on today are the first two. The first two, the top right and the top left. Of course, Hebrew is read from right to left, right? So we start top right and then we go to top left. Top right is Chachma. Top left is Bina. So what is Chachma and what is Bina? So, the simple understanding of this in Kabbalah is that Chachma, well, here the translation is wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding are not a really great translation, or at least a great definition of Chachma and Bina. Chachma is more accurately defined as creative intelligence. Bina is more accurately um, understood as analytical intelligence. So, Chachma is creative Bina is analytical. Chachma comes up with the ideas. Bina is the ability to develop the ideas. And this is very important. There's two different um, functions. Well, there are many functions of the brain, but two of the functions of our intelligence are Chachma and Bina. One is to be able to conceive of new ideas where you don't have an idea, you don't have the solution, you don't have, you know, the, you're searching for the answer. And you come up with the answer. Chachma is the creative spark. In the cartoon, in the language of cartoons, it's a lightning, it's a, it's a, it's a, a light bulb that goes off above someone's head. It's like a flash of insight. It's like, aha. It's what we would call maybe an aha, an aha moment, right? Where you have, you're kind of grappling, grappling, groping in the darkness. You don't have an answer or the answer to a question that you have. And suddenly, it comes to you, you have a flash of insight, flash of intuition, whatever you want to call it, 
That's Chachma. Chachma is the power of creativity. It's starting with a blank slate and coming up with something new. Or starting with an existing problem and coming up with a solution. Chachma is creativity. All of us, every single one of us, is creative. It's interesting, the Talmud says that one of the... Um, you know, the Talmud is, a, is primarily a Jewish legal work. So the Talmud, the Gemara, speaks of when somebody is, um, is, is in a, I guess, uh, is in a court case, and they're, they're being accused of something, and they're trying to defend themselves, they'll come up with, with creative arguments. They'll come up with something creative. In other words, when you, you know, they, there's an English phrase for this. Necessity is the mother of invention. Right? When, you, when you're in a situation that you need to come up with something, you know, that can trigger um, Chachma. Chachma, we've said many times, is born of letting go. Right? When are you the most creative? When you're letting go of what was prior. <coughs> Excuse me. As long as you're holding on to what you have, then you'll have what you had. If you want to have something brand new, you have to let go of what you have. So Chachma, part of Chachma, and that's why necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity means that what I've had until now doesn't work. That's why I'm in a squeeze. In other words, I'm in a problem now because I don't have the answer. Right? I'm feeling pressure because all of the answers or ideas that I thought I had don't work anymore. And so now I'm in a spot of necessity. That actual breaking internal breakdown of, of my security and what I know and how I think, etc., that itself opens me up to the beyond. It's kind of like, you know, a doors, sliding doors that open up to a vantage point beyond our own. When does it open up? When we allow ourselves to open up, when we allow the, the mind to relax or to be broken in a sense, or to be cracked open because of the, of the necessity. All of that is chachma. So chachma is the idea of creativity is spawning something new. Bina is very different. Bina is development. Bina is taking an idea, taking a concept and developing it. I'm analyzing it, um, studying it, developing it, expanding it, applying it. Bina is taking an idea and making it bigger. So Chachma in Kabbalah is referred to as a Nukuda or Nukuda. Nukuda means, what does it mean? A point. point. Nukuda is a point. So Chachma is a point. Imagine you take a pen and you make one point. Right Now that point obviously has, has dimension to it because it's a physical point. But in, in concept, a point is a single pixel, a single point. Bina is the expansion of that point in all directions. It goes up, it goes down. It goes laterally, there's depth to it. It's taking an idea and making it expanded. Chachma, I'm giving you parallel ideas. Chachma is likened in Kabbalah to the spring, the well, the well, the wellspring, Bina to the river. So the wellspring starts off drops of water, right? It produces drops of water. The river is where it expands. It's wide. It's, it goes long, there's length, there's breadth, there's depth to the river. Whereas the well, the well is just a few drops of water conceptually. I know wells are sometimes much more, but like a, you know, the, the, the fountain, the well that's starting, that's that. So Kabbalah speaks of, 
Again, Kabbalah, oh, we added chairs again? I have to remember to, to add to this. Um, there is one chair over there. There's a few very small chairs there. You're not Maybe bring the bench back in. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. So here we go. So Chachma is the Nekudah. Chachma is the point, And Bini is the expansion. Let's apply this. Let's apply this to the concept. <clears throat> to the concept of procreation. For a moment. So in procreation, there is the role of the father and the role of the mother. Here's how Kabbalah describes this. Kabbalah refers to Chachma as Abba and Bina as Ima. You with me on this? Chachma is Abba. What's Abba in Hebrew? Father. And Bina is Ima. What's Ima? Mother. Why is Chachma? <coughs> Sorry. Um, the, the chart. There, yeah, there's some right down there. Why is Chachma father? And why is Bina mother? Very simple. Remember what Chachma and Bina do. Chachma is the Nakuda, the point. Bina is the expansion. Right? Who provides, for lack, and we'll just use this, uh, this terminology, who provides the seminal, right, the seminal um, nekuda, the seminal drop, as it were, that will then develop into the child. Who provides that? Abba, father, Chachma. Who has the role of taking that and developing it, right? Where does the development take place? Not in Abba, not in the father, but rather in the mother. So again, Kabbalah associates gender, right, male, female, as well as the roles of father and mother. Kabbalah kind of positions this along the same lines as Chachma and Bina. Chachma is Abba. Chachma is the, 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 the initial creative spark or point that then will be developed, but is not yet developed. So that's Chachma, that's Abba, that's... The, the seminal drop, as it were. And then Bina is where that point, that Nakuda, becomes expanded, becomes developed, becomes full-fledged, becomes, in other words, viable. In Chachma, the idea itself is not yet viable. Why is it not yet viable? So I want to speak about viability for a second. You know, when in the experience of Chachma, when you are thinking, when you're in a modality of thinking, and you come up with a Chachma insight, at that moment, if you don't focus on it and turn your Bina toward it, it's very easy for that insight, for that flash of Chachma to dissipate, to disappear as fast as it came. And that's why you will have noticed in your life that you will have come up with an idea. And if you are, like if you're speaking with someone and you have a thought, but you don't turn to that thought, you keep with your conversation, you may very likely forget what that insight was. Why? Because you had a flash of Chachma, but you didn't Bina it to turn it into a verb. You didn't, sorry? <laughs> right. So th there's, a, there's, a, there's an internal skill that we learn. And this is straight up through trial and error or, or through just life. We intuitively learn, I don't know, intuitively, we, we, we learn 
that when, when we have these Chachma moments, that we have to turn, we have to apply our Bina to it or else it's going to go away. How many great ideas do we have that we forget because we didn't expand it? In other words, the viability, I'm going to use that word again, the viability of an idea is in Bina. Bina creates viability. This idea can be born, can live, because it's developed. Whereas in Chachma, Chachma is the spawning, is the beginning of an idea. But in Chachma, you don't have a viable idea yet. You have the, you have the potential for a viable idea. You have the, 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 the nukuda, the, the, the point or the core of a viable idea, but it's not yet a viable idea. Does all, does all of this make sense? It's a spark to the fire. Good. It's a kernel or a seed to the tree, right? It's the seminal drop to the fetus to the child. It's, it's, the, it's the point that then has to be expanded. The point is created or spawned, I don't know if that's the right term, is generated in Chachma. Bina is where development happens. We all have. Men, women, fathers, mothers, everyone has the intellectual power of Chachma as well as the intellectual power of Bina. We all have the ability to create, to spawn new ideas, and to develop them into viable plans and ideas. We all have both. But where do we see this? Again, in the context of procreation, um, Abba, father, is related to Chachma. Ima is, is related to Bina. Which takes us to our topic today, which is soul mapping. Or, in other words, where do souls come from? It's a valid question, right? It's a valid question, especially since we're speaking about the idea of procreation. Well, I guess we know where bodies come from, but where do souls come from? Sorry? Oh, so let's talk about souls for a second. So a soul, okay, we believe, just to kind of uh, lay out the basic foundation, we believe that life is the product, or life is the, um, the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The connection, that's not the right word, of, yeah, I guess, of, of body and soul. In other words, when you have a body and you have a soul, that is life. If you just have a soul without a body, at least here on earth, that's not life. If you have just a body without a soul, that's also not life. That's a, that's a corpse, right? So what, what is life? Life is the product of body and soul operating in the same space. Body and soul operating together. Bodies we know, bodies we know, right? There's a biological process by which bodies are formed. But where does the soul come from? So Kabbalah traces this back. Above, and it says the following. We're going to use some terminology. So those of you that are taking the Wednesday JLI, um, the World of Kabbalah course, so a lot of this stuff will be, some of the stuff will be familiar. But even if not, even if you're not taking that course, you may have heard about these concepts before. And even if not, I'm going to try to explain everything in a very clear way. Kabbalah says the following. Every soul comes from God. That's the easy answer. Kabbalah says, however, but where? Where? Which part? Right? Which spiritual dimension do souls come from? So Kabbalah says that souls come from Chachma, 
of the world of Atsilut. There are four spiritual worlds. Atsilut, the world of emanation. Bria, the world of creation. Yitzira, the world of formation. And Asiya, the world of action. Emanation, creation, formation, and action. Souls originate within the essence of God, but more practically, they are produced from the, from the dimension of Chachma of Atzilut. Now, if you want to be able to just visualize this, look at your chart, top right corner, Chachma. Imagine this is a depiction of the world of emanation, the world of Atzilut. Right? Imagine that's what we're looking at. Right? Where do souls come from? Chachma, right there. Boom. Now, now we got it, right? Chachma, that's where souls come from. Why do souls come from Chachma? They come from Chachma because Chachma is the seminal drop, as it were. It's when it's it's the first instance of somethingness being produced. Right? It's the first instance of generating an idea of generating something. And so souls are coming from Chachma. However, souls, of course, need a gestation period as well. When I say of course, maybe it's not of course, but that's what Kabbalah says. That just like on a physical level, right, a child needs not only the Chachma, but also the Bina, not just the contribution of the father, but the commitment of the mother, right, it's like the joke about the, um, the chicken and the pig. You know this joke? Ah, oh, the chicken and the pig. <laughs> Classic joke. Now, a chicken and a pig are walking down the street. And they see a breakfast place that's advertising uh, bacon and eggs. The chicken says to the pig, look at us. We're famous. Everyone loves us, right? Bacon and eggs. Everyone loves us. The, the pig says to the chicken, easy for you to say. For you, it's a contribution. For me, it's a commitment. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you had to be there. What's the point? What's the point? Chachma is a contribution. I'm saying, right? On the, on, the, on, the, on the procreation side. Chachma is, you know, is the Abba is the contribution. Bina is the commitment. Right? That's where nine months of development, that takes a while. So souls also have a similar process. It says that souls are, souls are um, the life cycle, or not life cycle, but the spawning process of a soul is that it is, it's Chachma um, conception happens on Shmini Atzeret, the, the last day of Sukkot, and the birth of souls happen on Shvi Shal Pesach. The seventh day of Passover. That's what it says in Kabbalah. It's a shorter, it's not nine months, right? It's about six months or into the seventh month. Um, but that's the gestation period of the soul. It starts off with Chachma and then it is developed in Bina and then it goes on. Every soul originates in the highest of these spiritual worlds and ends up, assuming it ends up in a body, it ends up in our physical world of Asiya, the world of action. In other words, every soul begins in the highest spiritual realm and then, assuming it connects with the body, is found in the lowest. And so therefore, every soul travels through each and every one of the spiritual dimensions 
world after world after world after world until it hits this final destination. But here's the catch. Some souls take the local train. Some souls take the express. What's the difference? You guys familiar with, this, with the New York subway system, right? I'm sure. Everyone's written. Yeah, you've all been on the subway before. You can take the local, you can take the express. The difference is the local makes every stop. Stops at every station. Right? You're on the three. I only mentioned the three because if you're in 770 Eastern Parkway, Chabad headquarters, you walk outside, you catch the three right there. The three is right there. The three to Manhattan, right? You're taking the local. I think the three is a local. You take the local, you're stopping at 14th Street, 18th, 24th. I forget the streets already. You're stopping lower Manhattan. You're stopping every station. Take the express. There's like the five, four, one of those two, or maybe this, whatever. One of those is the express. Take the express. You start off in lower Manhattan. Next thing you know, it's 34th Street. It's like, wow, that was great. That was great. What's the difference? Difference is, you know, when you make every stop, first of all, it takes longer. But in addition to taking longer, at every stop, new people get on. Right? Some people get off and new people get on. And you have the flavor of the local stop. You have the, the energy of the local station that actually infuses your subway car with, with, uh, with influence. Right, so now you have a guy who's starting to preach about... No, I'm kidding. Now you have a guy who's... Uh, and all, oh, you also have the head, right? Someone's playing music. Someone's uh, speaking too loudly. Whatever it is. But now you're getting influenced by that stop. There are two types of souls. There are local souls and express souls. All souls begin at the highest of places. Chachma avatzilot. The question is... On the way down to this world, in its journey down into a body, a physical body, did it stop at every stop? Did it take the local or did it take the express? Most souls, the vast, vast, vast majority of souls take the local, which means, yes, yes, (laughs) which means that at every stage, it gains a new level of consciousness. At every stage, it, 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 assumes the partic- it, it assumes the qualities and the nature of that world, of that dimension, right? It changes. It, 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 is, it is changed by what's happening in that world, what's happening in that space. Most souls ha- take that journey and become changed by that journey. They don't remain who they were initially. They become changed. They become modified by the journey itself. Most souls, yeah. Is that parallel? Is that the difference between the tzaddik and the people who have to work? That's what we're working. Yes, that's what we're headed toward. Yes. Exactly. So today we're looking at some soul mapping to understand why it is that some people end up looking one way and look, and others look like another way. So we're tracing this now back to the source. So yeah, but don't don't jump don't don't uh, don't get to the last page of the book yet, right? So okay, most souls take the local. They start off in Chachma but as they travel, as the soul travels down this 
this kind of divine pipeline, right? As it travels down this this um, this system, this uh, this the system of of movement from from heaven to earth. <coughs> most souls, most souls, are assuming the form and the nature of each and every subsequent dimension, which means that the soul takes on the, the psychology of the various spaces. And so I want to speak about the, the nature of the four worlds, emanation, creation, formation, and action. There are many different ways to understand this, but one way to understand this is that it corresponds to four different um, dimensions within the human experience. Spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical. Each of us exists along these four, uh, these four spaces. We have physical, we have, uh, um, you know, there's the physical part of us, the emotional part of us, intellectual part of us, and the spiritual part of us. So one way that this manifests, we've, sp we've spoken about this before, is in relationships. So if you're looking for, if you're looking for a relationship, for a, for a spouse, right, a husband, a wife, or a, clo a close, deep relationship, and you're thinking about what constitutes compatibility, for example. Like, how do I know when I'm compatible? So there's four different areas of compatibility. You can look at physical compatibility, right? Attraction, other physical qualities. You can look at emotional compatibility, right? Do we have, emotionally, do we have the similar likes or dislikes, et cetera, emotionally? We can look at intellectual compatibility. Do we see the world the same way? Then we can look at spiritual compatibility. Do we share the same core spiritual values? Ideally, ideally, we align, you know, and a healthy relationship aligns at all four dimensions. Spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical. I've always said this, and I'm sure you've heard me say this before if you've been to some of my classes. The, 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 um, in, at least in our Western world, we typically start from the bottom and then hopefully get to the top, right? You meet someone, right? And the first thing you notice about them is, of course, well, what do you notice? What's the first thing you notice? Physical, right? How they look. So the first thing that's there is the physical. Then you have conversations, and then if, if, if you can check the box of the physical, and then you also have a good conversation with them, right? And there's an emotional connection, wow, that's amazing. Intellectual, if you share the same ideas, that's why people avoid talking about how, you know, ideas. Because what if we find out that we don't have the same ideas? Right? Uh-oh, there goes the relationship. So maybe we won't even talk about those things until like three years down the road. It's like, oh, I never knew that about you. Why? Because we just never talked about it. And then even deeper is the spiritual stuff. And who's going to talk about that? That's an awkward conversation, right? Imagine on the first date. It's like, oh, so what are your spiritual core values? You had me at goodbye. It's like, what is like, who does that? Who does that? Like, that's, uh, that's, that seems like a, like a non-starter. So who, right? But the truth is, the truth is, that if we're looking for a soulmate, it would make sense, probably, to start from where? Looking at compatibility from the top down. Because if you think about it, if you think about the areas of these four dimensions, which are the ones that are most likely to change? Which are the ones least likely to change? Think about it, right? Which is more likely to change? How you look? <laughs> Guaranteed to change. 
guaranteed to change. No one's ever looked the same throughout their life. I mean, with a few exceptions. Um, who am I thinking of? Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> few, few exceptions. But other than that, <laughs> I know, right? Who am I I'm thinking of? Oh, no, no. I'm thinking, I know who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of, um, who's the sportscaster? Bob Costas. Man, that guy still looks the same. <laughs> and he's, he's, pretty, he's, he's looking pretty good. Anyway, but, so aside from the rare exception, the physical is the one thing guaranteed to change. No one ever looked the same. 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85, 95. You just don't, don't look the same. Emotional disposition, start from the bottom up. Emotional. Okay, how you feel about things is somewhat, you know, somewhat sad, but you know, we, we, we change. That changes through life. You know, we like certain things when we're younger. We don't like them anymore. Or we didn't like things. Now we like things. Emotions are also, you know, changing. I do that because they're also volatile, right? But emotions change. Ideas, probably a little bit more solid. But you would think, and it's true, that your spiritual core values, that remains usually pretty rock solid. So if you want a, if you want a solid state, if, you want a, uh, if you're looking for a relationship that has solidity to it, it's on a solid foundation, what's the most important thing to make sure is compatible? Right? The spiritual stuff. Because if you're basing it on the lower stuff, you're building a skyscraper on something that is shifting. It's kind of like building on the San Andreas Fault. It's not a good idea. Right? right? It's not a good idea because you know that that's moving. Right? The core of this relationship is going to be how attractive I found you at 25 years old. That's it. That's it. Well, that's going to change. <coughs> Excuse me. That's not, that's not a stable foundation. But if the, if the relationship is predicated on your soul, my soul, our shared spiritual values, our core values, that's more likely going to see us through from, from beginning to the end. Why do I say all this? Because this, these four spaces, oh, and this is, all, this is true not only in relationships, but within our own lives. You know, again, we each have these four dimensions, spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical. And it also manifests in our day-to-day lives. There's what we do, right? Let's say there's our work, which is the physical. There's our emotion, you know, how we feel about things, how we see things, you know, intellectually, and then our, our core values. If we can find, if we can be doing things in life that are aligned with those higher values, then we, are, we feel in alignment. If you've ever felt like, uneasy about life or kind of, you know, like uh, um, uh, misaligned or imbalanced in life, it might be because you are feeling the result of your spiritual values in one place, your ideas are in another place, you're thinking about these things, you're feeling that and you're doing that and you're just kind of all over the place. And that creates a, uh, a spiritual misalignment or a, not a spiritual, but a, but a misalignment. It's kind of like the spine, if God forbid the spine were, uh, were you know, all over the place, that would not be a healthy thing. You know, a healthy spine is one that is aligned. So all of this, again, I'm, I'm saying all of this to explain the, the four um, levels of the soul. I told you before that the soul um, goes through the worlds and most souls take the express. Sorry, take, take the local. You're stopping at each stop, which means the following. There are certain souls that are more intellectual. 
There are certain souls that are more emotional and certain souls that are more practical. Practical. Different souls, different soul personalities. So there are souls that are all about ideas. There are souls that are all about feelings. And souls that are all about getting things done, practical implementation of, uh, of stuff. And then there are souls, those are the lower three, and then the highest level of soul are the souls that are all about spirituality, that are all about seeing God in all the spaces, feeling God in all the spaces, and doing divine things in all the spaces that it finds itself in. Those are the souls that we call neshamot da'atzilut, the souls of atzilut. Every soul, just to be very clear, every soul comes from, originates from, that world of Atzilut, the world of emanation. But most souls, as they step down and down and down through the worlds, take on the character and the nature of one of the lower worlds. It's a very rare soul that is the express soul. The soul that got on from the, from the, from the first stop to the last stop and remains unchanged. Same seatmates. Same dude playing a, uh, an accordion, right? The same, the same company. When you got on the train to when you got off the train, there were no stops along the way. There are certain souls that even as they exist here below, they remain nishamot adatzilut, souls of atzilut. Aye, they went through the same pipeline. Sure, yes, they did go through the same pipeline, but they didn't assume the character. They weren't shaped by that process, they remain, they remain tethered, or they're not, not even tethered, they remain in their original space. This is very, in the language of, I'll, I'll throw you some Kabbalistic terminology, you don't have to know this, you don't have to remember this, um, but I, I just feel like sharing, there's, there's a, a descent in a way of hislapshut, or hitlapshut, which means that the entity is being enclosed in the lower entity, and every step along the way, the soul becomes garbed in the garments of that world that's beneath it, or the world that it finds itself in, and then it becomes affected by that world, and then by the next world, by the next world, and then there's derech ma'avir. Then there's it just passes through. It can either just pass through, or becomes affected by. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, like in life. Right? You can be doing your thing and someone can say something to you and you can get affected by it, be offended by it. It hurt, it affect, or maybe it, it, it was a compliment, maybe, it, maybe it, it uplifted you. But you become, you're affected by the stimuli around you. Or there could be a, a, a modality where you're, go, you're doing your thing and it doesn't matter what someone's saying or doing or whatever around you, you remain true to yourself and you remain um, you know, in your own space. The souls that are called souls of Atzilut are souls that even though they came down the same pipeline, they remain spiritual. And they remain in that original spiritual consciousness of the world of Atzilut, where they see God, they understand God, they feel God, and they do godly things. Those are neshamot of Atzilut. Most souls, although they come from the same world, at this point, they look different. They look different. Some souls have more of an understanding. Some souls have more of a feeling. Some souls are more you know, practical. But either way, 
the souls don't have the same consciousness. And the differences between Atzilut and the lower three worlds, as we discussed in the JLI class, is the difference between God consciousness or self-consciousness. So, like to give you an example, imagine you have an idea in your own head. As the idea exists in your own head, the idea doesn't exist outside of you. Correct? Like, it can't do anything now on its own. It's your idea, and it's in your head. So you have complete control over the idea, and in truth, it doesn't have its own existence. It can't, like, go off, run off, and do something, because it's, it's still in your head. The moment you, you, you share it with someone else, right? the moment you speak it to someone else, so now your idea is out there. So number one, it's being interpreted by somebody else, which means that by definition, it's not gonna be exactly the same as it was in your head. It's never the same in your head and in the other person's head. There's always some sort of modification. But number two, once it's in someone else's head, right, or once someone knows about it, or once someone has that idea now, they can run with it. They can create something with that idea. I came up with a great reality show the other day. It's Thursday, it's Thursday evening. I was with my wife in Kroger, Kroger Fountain Oaks over here, which I noticed, anybody shop at the Fountain Oaks Kroger? Yeah, you guys shop there? I noticed they added more checkout with actual people. You notice that? No. Never. Used to be they had one maybe. I'm not saying back in the day, back in my day, which is like last year, right? They had no one there, it's self-checkout. But then I think they realized that self-checkout is not all it's cracked up to be, I think they're losing more money on the self-checkout. That was an article. There was an article, right. And from then on, it's like now there's like three or four lanes open. I'm like, wow, whoever wrote that article, thank you very much. Anyway, so back to the story. So I'm with my wife and we're shopping, whatever. We took a little date night at Kroger. That's it. And I was thinking, right, I was thinking like this. Well, it would be a great reality show to, um, and I told my wife this, like imagine you take like three couples you give them a shopping list. You drop them in Kroger. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> self-checkout also, only self-checkout. And, the, and the, it's straight up who can shop the fastest and check out the fastest. And, and, and be, it would be a great, right? Wouldn't this be great? Everyone's thinking, no, this would be ridiculous. <laughs> Not any more ridiculous than any other reality show. Roby, it would test like cooperation, like how well do you work together? Divide, how well do you know the store? Can you divide the shopping? Can you do the self-check? Oh, you also have to bag everything. You can't just check out and pay. Everything's got to be bagged, right? It's got to be bagged and ready to go. So I said this out loud to my wife. Because you know me. I like to make jokes and say other, otherwise uh, things like that. So, and this guy was like near us. I see him listening. I'm like, oh, great. Now this guy's going to take our idea. I was joking. He smiled. He laughed. But I was thinking, once you share an idea, like my, bro- oh, I just did this also now. Oh, man. Right. Once I sh- once you share an idea, it's no longer you don't you no longer control the idea. When it's in your head, it's not only you control it; it doesn't exist. All that exists is your head. It's your idea. It's but once you speak it, now it's now now you've given it life. Someone else now knows it. They can work with it. They can run with it. They can create it. It now is born into the world. It's not just I took an idea and I convert it to sound waves, 
and it's out there in the world. It's, it's a gulf of distinction between an idea that's just in my head, which means it doesn't really exist outside, versus being spoken and now it exists in the world. Whether or not anyone acts on it, they could. And that means it exists for real. How did God create the world? Through speech. The Torah says, God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let there be a firmament, a heaven. There was. God said, let separate the waters. And there was. God said, and there was. As long as creation is in God's mind, so to speak, doesn't exist. The moment God speaks it into being, it exists. The difference between Atsilut and the lower three worlds, Atsilut is a world of divine thought. So you have Chachma of Atsilut, and you have, right, where souls come from, and you have the souls that come from Chachma of Atsilut. You have souls that come from there. But in that state, the souls don't really yet exist, or they don't exist outside the divine consciousness. And because they're part of the divine consciousness, their consciousness is also divine. So they think about God. As they, the way, their line of thinking is divine. Their feeling is divine, right? They're, everything about them is godly and divine. Whereas the souls, as they tumble through the lower worlds and assume the characteristics of those lower worlds, they now begin to take on, to gain a self-identification. Now there's a struggle because now I don't only see God. Now I also see myself. Kabbalah says this is the difference between souls that are called sons and souls that are called servants. Sons is not gender specific. It just means a child. A child versus a servant. And this is what we're going to get into in just a moment in our text. What is a child? What is a servant? A child, he describes the following, just to recap what we did, I guess, two weeks ago. A child, he says, is someone who loves, again, an ideal relationship, child loves the parent. Not only loves the parent, wants everything that the parent wants. If the parent wants something, the child wants it. If the parent understands that this thing is good, the child also understands that it's good. If the parent understands that this thing is not good, the child also understands that. Every single thing that the parent wants or understands to be good, the child is on the same page. When the parent asks the child to do something, the child doesn't think, oh, great, now I have to do this for my parent. The child, the child is excited and the child is attuned to it. So most of the time, in fact, the child will know what the parent wants even without the parent asking. If the parent has to ask, the child responds in a way of positivity and love and excitement. And in fact, he says that the child is more excited to do what the parent wants than what the child, him or herself wants. Why? Because that's this, this relationship. And I probably should at this point ask the question, you know any kids like this? <laughs> where, where are these kids? <laughs> Where exactly are these kids? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, did I miss a memo somewhere? Like, it's another class. Huh? It's another class about parenting. Yes, right. But no, will they understand? Yes. 
the understanding is that, you know, as, as human beings actually, you know, it's like um, Platonic forms, right? Plato? Right, he talks about how tree, you know, you, I'm looking through the mirror there, back of trees, or the window, right? So there's trees out there. You call that a tree. When I say that, whichever one you're looking at, you call that a tree? How's that a tree? Because the other one next to it is also a tree, and they don't look the same. How are they all trees? This is what philosophers think about. <laughs> How are they all trees? Oh, he says, right? Plato says that there's a perfect tree. There's a perfect form of a tree. And then you have other, everything else is an imperfect, not replica, is an imperfect um, attempt at a tree. So you call it a tree because it's close. But there's one thing called tree. Why did I mention this? I don't remember. Um, oh, oh, yeah. So parenting, right? So there's like a perfect form, the perfect model of the parent-child relationship, which we're discussing. And then all of us, we're trying to get close. <laughs> as close as we can get. Right? But look, because we're not perfect, because we're human, so parents are not perfect parents. Children are not perfect children. Relationships themselves, which is another dynamic, are not perfect, and everything else in between. But the idea here is that on a good day, or in a perfect sense, that's the way it would be. That a child would love the parent, would love what the parent loves, would not love what the parent does not love, would understand, would think along the same lines that the parent thinks, would want to do what the parent wants to be done, would be so excited to do it that they would do it with more excitement than what they themselves personally want to do. This describes a certain subset of souls known as the souls of Atzilut. These are souls that took the express. Souls that when they came down through the pipeline of the worlds were not affected by the, the limitations of those worlds. They remain in their consciousness completely as dedicated and, and, and aligned and on board with God as they did in their first moments of conception. So, this soul is so... It's a good question, but let's... In reincarnation is going to take us off into a different, a different branch. I want to stay right here for a second. So, we have the idea of... Let's think about a child. When is a child... I think we can all um, agree to this. When would we say that a child does exactly what the mother wants it to do? Eats exactly what the mother wants it to eat. That's right. Right? Before birth. Before birth. Right? Yeah. And these souls of Atsilut are souls that are like in that state. Even as they're born, even as they're connected with the body, these souls are still in that literally plugged in state. Right? With the umbilical cord, the spiritual umbilical cord. They're plugged in as they were in utero. Which means that they don't have their own, their own volition. They don't have their own desires and wants. Whatever God wants, that's what they want. It's so, they're so transparent to the source, they don't assert their own, their, own, their, own, their own ego, their own consciousness, etc. This is very important. 
is the rare soul, the, is the tzad of the rare soul that does not descend from, from Chachma of Atzalah, does not descend. All right, Alex, hold on. We'll talk about that. Um, that's a higher level question. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Mo, so all souls are coming from Chachma Vatzilut. I mean, yeah, predominantly that's what we're talking about today. They tumble down through the worlds. As they tumble down through the worlds, they typically assume the nature of those lower worlds with some rare exceptions. Those rare exceptions remained as plugged in. What I want to do now is continue our description of what those souls look like. These are the souls that are called children of God. We're all children of God, but there are certain souls that are called banim, children, as opposed to the souls that are called servants. The servant soul is very different. The servant soul feels like they are giving, they are, they are, um, they are submitting to a higher authority, which is not as seamless as the other form. All right, please take and pass. All right, we're going to jump inside now. All right, for the next 15 minutes, we're going to read Kabbalah inside our text. Please take a copy. I'm going to pull this up on the screen as well. We should have enough copies. So make yourselves comfy as we get started. Okay. Let me open this up. And I'm assuming that online you guys can see this as well. I'm hoping. Okay, give me a moment to find the right page. We are on. We are on page 28. All right, 28, second paragraph. We did this last time. I'm, we're going to get a running start. So he described up until this point, he described the human relationship. Father and son, parent-child. Again, the ideal relationship where the child is on board with what the parent wants, excited to do it, understands, thinks the way the parent thinks, etc. Okay. Similarly, <coughs> the souls of Israel are called sons. Now, it's important to understand this. This is one category of souls. Doesn't mean that everybody is on this level, as you'll see, obviously, but it means that some are on this level. Similarly, the souls of Israel are called sons, as in the verse, you are sons to the Lord your God, or my, my son, my firstborn Israel. Two verses and similar verses. This title is true for these souls because of their source on high. Since, and listen to how he describes this, since they derive from the inner dimension of the essence of the Ein Sof, which means the essence of God, but more specifically, in the wisdom of the supernal brain, which is Chachma, as in the expression, wisdom is in the brain. We see this concept also in the phrase, for you are our father, which in this context means literally, just like a child, right, emanates from the father in the space of Chachma, that's how we started today's class, correct? Right, for the mother, it's in Bina, for the father, it's in Chachma, because the father is not developing the child, but is spawning, I don't know if the right word is spawning, the initial creative seminal spark of the child, so too souls come from Chachma, divine, divine Chachma, which in general refers to Chachma of the highest world of Atzilut. Now, how does this play out? What do these souls look like here? Here we go. Therefore, even divine worship, such as reading Shema and prayer, and performing Torah and Mitzvot all day, 
is not burdensome for such a soul at all. This type of soul, since it identifies with its source, identifies with Chachma Batzilut, identifies with God, so this soul is not bothered or not burdened by prayer, by studying Torah, by doing mitzvot all day. It is like, back inside, it is like a natural instinct within his divine soul to walk in the path of God without veering right or left, without the sense of a yoke or burden at all. In other words, it's totally natural. Like, again, in a perfect state, a child would naturally follow the path of the parent. These souls naturally follow a divine path. It's not like they want to veer right or left and they have to hold themselves back. No, I have to remain disciplined. I have to remain on point. I have to remain on task. They don't even have a desire to veer. That's why he says it's without the sense of a yoke or burden. You know what that means? I don't have to force myself. I don't have to tell myself, but I have to do it. It's the right thing. It's not that it's the right thing. It's what I want to do also. My natural desire is aligned with divine desire. It's, it's the same desire. Let's continue. He says this right here. And whatever is the divine will is also his will. Whatever God wants, the person wants, or the soul wants. He truthfully wants it from the inner recesses of his soul. Conversely, his soul literally despises what is contrary to the divine will. For his will is literally like the divine will. When we talk about alignment, again, the way it is below is the same way it was above. This soul took the express. It didn't change. Nothing happened on its journey. It, it remains as pure and as aligned here as it was up there in the world of Atzilut. It's like a child that's born that remains as plugged in as it was in the mother's womb. <laughs> be nice, right? <laughs> right? It would be nice. Right? The child would be as aligned with the parent as it was. Or even forget about the womb. Even think about it like little kids, how they adore their parents. Remember that? Little kids? <laughs> You're their hero? <laughs> Doesn't always last, right? But it, right, the point is, right, all joking aside, this is a persona. When we, in Kabbalah, you know, you have different, different personas. When Kabbalah speaks of souls that are children, that are sun, sun souls, it refers to souls whose consciousness below is the same as above. Let's continue. And so for these souls, and so it is in his perception of divinity. Just as the logic of the son mirrors that of, his fa of the father, as we explained earlier, right? it's not only that whatever the parent wants, the child wants. It's the way the parent thinks the child thinks. The child's mind works like the parent's mind. So just like that, so physically, so it is with these souls that are called sons. sons. Their character and perception mirrors what is above. Just as above, in the world of Atzilut, that's what we're talking about, right? Just like in the source, in Atzilut, there is Chachma and Bina, i.e. the knowledge, page 30. The knowledge and perception of the infinite light that shines in Atzilut. Likewise, the Chachma and Bina of these souls literally know and perceive the, the infinite light, blessed is he. So just like, just like above in the source in Atzilut, the soul understands and perceives God, it has the same understanding below, in this world, in a body. In fact, let's continue inside. All that he understands is only the goodness of divinity. 
and he does not perceive any differently. I.e., his mind does not dictate any differently at all, God forbid. In other words, if you would ask this person, so what's, what's right? What's good? Right? What's truth? Right? What makes sense? And the opposite, what's not good, what's not right, what doesn't make sense, they would be aligned completely with a divine compass. These souls are perfectly attuned below as they were above in the world of Atzilut. Let's keep on going. Rather, he understands the divine concepts and the goodness of divinity by logical imperative, literally. In other words, his own seichel, I'm going to use some Hebrew terms, is mechaev, the same conclusion. Mechaev means um, necessitates. His own logic dictates the very same conclusion. It's not that his mind would conclude something else, but God wants him to be over here, so he'll be over here. No, his own mind dictates the same conclusion, the divine conclusion. That's how I'm bored. It's not just in the realm of action. I'll do what God wants because I'm aligned with, with the will of God. His understanding is aligned as well. I understand that this makes sense. In other words, even if I wouldn't have had the divine command, right, I would know what God wants, but more importantly, or I don't know, more importantly, but in addition, I would understand the same understanding that leads to that same conclusion of what needs to be done. Does that make sense? Sounds like that replicates. <laughs> right, well, it's, it's a mirror image. That's what we're talking about. Souls that are mirror, that's a good word, mirror image. Let's continue. This is true even of the level of perception that occurs in supernal knowledge. The, uh, i got to explain this. The level of the truth of Avaya, the true level of true supernal perception, as explained in a previous discourse for Shafta. I'm going to explain this. I'm gonna keep on going. He literally knows and perceives the idea since his Chachma and being a parallel of the supernal Chachma and Bina. Let me explain. In, in Kabbalah, there's two phrases. Well, more than two, but there's a, there's a contrasting phrase. Dat Elyon and Dat Tachton. Let me explain this very quickly. Dat means knowledge. Dat Elyon means higher knowledge. Dat Tachton means lower knowledge. Or, I I'm going to use a different term. Higher perception and lower perce perception. What, what does that mean? Let's talk about lower perception, because that's ours. Let's talk about us. Our perception of God begins like this. I exist. That's how it begins. I exist, but I probably come from somewhere, so I guess God exists. What does God look like? No idea. But I know it makes sense to say that if I'm here, there's got to be a source. And a source of a source of a source of a source of a source. Keep on going back. We'll call that first thing God. Make sense? We call that Yesh and Ayin. Lamata Yesh, Lamayla Ayin. Which means, I know that I exist. I'm a Yesh. Yesh means a being. I know that if something exists, it's got to have a source. But I don't know what that source is. So I call that source Ayin nothingness. I.e., it's nothing like I know. It's nothing like the physical creation. So lower perception is, we exist, God also, but in a different way. Lamata yesh, lamayla ayin. Below exists, above something. God has the opposite perspective. God's perspective is, I exist. <laughs> Y'all, not really. Right? 
God says, I exist. All of you are just my creations. You don't really exist. You exist insofar as I made you exist. But really, I exist. Which means that the higher perspective and lower perspective are the exact opposites. Each one says, I exist. You, maybe. Right? Lower perceptions, I, we exist. God, probably. Maybe. I don't know what that looks like, but sure. Why not? God says, I exist. Y'all, maybe, sure, why not? If you want to think so, knock yourselves out. It's like a mirror image. There are some souls below who have that Elyon. That's like when you see the matrix. There are some souls below that see as their core truth, God's existence. And they see everything else as only possibly existing. Does that make sense? Most of us see this as definitive existence. Like this, all of this definitely is real. God, maybe. Some souls see the truth as God's existence and everything else as a question mark. That's what he's saying. The, yeah. So I'm getting us, our part, but the God part, he created us. How is there doubt in God's world? God's doubt is if we exist outside of him there is a doubt no he knows that we don't <laughs> he knows that we don't in other words our existence is not real existence it's the characters that you create in your mind right you create a video game and you have characters that are running around you even gave the players of the video game the ability to create new worlds minecraft you gave the tools Right? To the user to create new worlds so they can be co creators. Shkoyach. Everything is your code. It's all your code. Nothing exists outside of you. At any moment, conceptually, you can pull the plug on the software. At any moment, you have, imagine you have constant control. It doesn't work like this in the software example because once it's out there, it's out there. But imagine you have full control over, over the game. How real is that? How real is that? Everyone's playing it, they're all excited. They're creating their own worlds and their own characters. Thank you very much. It's all your world. How, how real is that? So you know that you are real, and all of that is only as real as, as you made it to be. There are certain souls that live right here that have that same perception. Not that they know that truth, but literally see the world that way. All of us today can understand this truth, that God has a different, has a flipped perception of the way we perceive reality. Our reality is, this is real, right? The table is real. God, abstract. God has a perception that God is tangible, as it were, and we're abstract. And we can understand that. But certain souls don't just understand that. Certain souls live with that perception. They see the world. The author Rebbe said famously, shortly before his passing, he asked his son, he was standing by a table. He says, what do you see? His son says, I see the table. Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad says, I don't see the table. I see the divine, the Devar Hashem, the word of Hashem that's giving life to the table. What do you see? You see a table or you see God? There are certain souls that see a different, different view of reality. Tzadikim. 
right? A Rebbe, certain individuals see things differently. Like, wow, that person must have prophecy. How do they know that? When you see things from a different perspective, you will have different conclusions. You will see things differently. That's the way it is. So anyway, getting back over here. So this is, again, I'm just explaining these few lines just so we don't just read it and move on, but so we understand it. So I'm going to read the lines again. This is true. One, two, three, four, five lines in from the paragraph that starts in fact. Second paragraph on 30. This is true even of the level of perception that occurs in supernal knowledge. That translation um, is frankly awkward, but the point is that this, these souls even have that elion, supernal knowledge. Supernal knowledge, whatever. Higher perception. The level of the truth of Avaya, the true level of true supernal perception, as explained in the previous discourse, Veshafta, he literally knows and perceives the idea since his Chachma and Bina parallel the supernal Chachma and Bina. They are on a completely separate level in comparison to the Chachma Bina of other souls, etc. In other words, the way these souls see the world is radically different than the way everyone else. All other souls, even in their most spiritual moments, have a perception of God as an Ayin, not as a Yesh. Every other soul, even on their best spiritual day, in their best moments, they will see God as the abstract infinity, but not as the true reality. They will see God as the abstract and themselves as the concrete, even the highest, even the, the, at, at the best day. Whereas these souls see it from the, from the top down, from the divine perception, how God is true reality and we are all part of that conception. Let's continue. And the concept sits well with him. The concept sits, this is Yiddish. <laughs> he puts it in Yiddish. Some, it's interesting, in some discourses, so the author uses Yiddish, and it's typically when you just can't say it as well in another language. But it's going to sound redundant here in the English. Right? The concepts is very well with him in his mind. Uh, it's, it, the Yiddish reads, as le- oh, I can't see it. Where is it? I've got to move my thing. As legzech bayem up. It's nice, it's nice in Yiddish. Legzech up. It means it's, it's, um, it's a given. It's a given in his head. It's a given in his mind. God is true. All of this, and all of this is because the soul is a part of God from on high, actually, which is why he understands these matters in the truest form as they truly are. We're going to go another few paragraphs and then close it out. And just as a son, to continue the parallel, is naturally drawn toward his father with a great love and complete worship to fulfill his will with joy. So not just does he understand and he wants to do it, but there's a joy just like a son has a natural joy. So it is with these souls. They are naturally drawn with the passion of great love, 32, like a spark drawn to its source with joyful worship, using the mind and heart and prayer and Torah and mitzvot, celebrating the opportunity to do a mitzvah, to give pleasure to the Father in heaven. It's not just the, per- the soul understands it and is dedicated to it and, and, and figures it out on its own and all that other stuff. It, there's, there's a joy and a passion and an excitement. Let's continue. This is also why strength from the divine flow is drawn into the souls of Israel to awaken them with, uh, to awaken within them the godly love and desire to completely escape the vessel, i.e. the body that confines them, etc., in other words, these souls would rather, on some level, would rather not be here. These souls have a consciousness, have a higher consciousness. They almost exist um, in the world of Atzilut. This is also why each morning a person is inspired suddenly and without any preparation at all to serve God. 
as explained in a previous discourse, Vayigash Elav. Again, certain souls in the morning, they're excited about doing a mitzvah, about serving God, about fulfilling their purpose of creation. These are sun souls. All of this is because the souls of Israel derive from the essence of the infinite, and the light is therefore drawn into them constantly to inspire them, etc. All of this describes one type of soul, the category of souls that is in the far minority of souls, because most of us look, sorry to say, nothing like this. Most of us are not like this. And although this sounds like the perfect soul, like the most romantic depiction of what a soul could be and should be, the whole point of this is the great advantage of the other level, which we have not yet described, the servant, not the son. So up until now, we've described in, gra- in very, again, very romantic terminology, very, um, you know, very uh, uh, um, d- descriptive and very depictive of what it looks like to be a soul that is absolutely attuned to the divine. Imagine you take a, a, a piece of heaven and literally just take it, pure piece of heaven, and drop it right here on earth without any modifications, no tweaking, no customizing, no tuning. You just drop a piece of heaven into a body. What would that look like? Hey, Jeff. <laughs> Good to see you. What would that look like? What, it would look like... Sorry? What is the name of that soul again? It's called a son. Oh, it's, it's coming from... Right. It's coming from Atzilut. Oh, it's a neshama Atzilut. It's a soul of Atzilut. All souls, again, with the caveat, all souls come from Atzilut. But they don't identify with that. Therefore, we don't call them souls of Atzilut. The ones that we call souls of Atzilut are the ones that even as they are below, they are, they are, they are just perfect repli- replicas of heaven. It's kind of like you know, when you're cloning a hard drive. right? It's not even cloning. It's the same thing. It's not cloned. It is the piece of heaven that is literally dropped into a body without any tuning, any modification. It's a soul of Atzilut. It took the express, not the local. It didn't change. It wasn't modified. It didn't pick up any of the aromas or sounds or flavors or other, you know, uh, elbow bumps from anything along the way. It is a pure soul of Atzilut in a body. And what does it look like? Its consciousness is divine consciousness. Its will is divine will. Its love is divine love. Its understanding is divine understanding. That's what it is, yeah. So is this, a, is this a soul? Is this a tzaddik? What's the difference, say, between this person and the person... Now, a person can look at a tree and say it's a tree. A man planted that tree. Okay, but what... Another person can look at the tree and say, God created that tree. Yeah. And if it's nature, when you look at all, look at all the different trees different kinds. I mean, you look at it, or you look at a flower, and you see every flower that's, that has that name, has the same markings, the same, and you think, God created that. So the person has a spiritual, there's something spiritual in that person, if they can see God in all Sure, this. absolutely. So what's the difference oh. between that person? Good question, good question, good. And it's Sadiq who sits and studies Torah all the time. So it's not about 
what they're doing as much as it is, although it's also about that, but it's really also about how they're wired inside. Most of us see the tree and then deduce that God created the tree. It's the very rare soul who sees God and then sees the tree. It's a very rare soul. Most of us notice the beauty and then do a bit of an internal meditation and depends on how many times we've done that meditation is how quickly it's going to take. And then we conclude, oh, it's, it's, oh, thank you Hashem for creating such a beautiful tree. But that's a second step, right? That's called dat tachton. That is our perception, lower perception. There's a tree that's real. That's what I see. And then there's God who created the tree. The higher soul, these, I don't know if you call them higher, but these souls, these sun souls, are souls that from the get-go are only perceiving God and only perceiving divine truth. And because of that, their experience also, when it comes to Torah and mitzvot, is different. And by the way, this is not necessarily meaning that the person only studies Torah and does mitzvot all day. But whatever they're doing is filled with a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, and a sense of higher consciousness. There's everything is true to purpose. It's not like I did something and then I'm like, oh wait, how can I do this for a greater cause, for a greater good? Everything starts from a higher place. This is the son as opposed to the servant. The servant, which we have not at all touched. We're going to touch that next time. The servant is someone who identifies as their own person. And at the same time is also secondarily, sorry, secondarily of service to another cause, to another, you know, to a, to a master beyond themselves. But that's a second step. There's who I am and then there's what I do. This person they are all, all of, all of who they are is all about something higher. Yeah. I'm envisioning a wormhole. Yeah. Doors are open and the soul stays connected, like as in the womb, <clears throat> stays connected one foot here on earth, one foot with God. So that connection and information are transmitted all the time. Would you say that? Sure. Um, because like when you go to sleep, your soul comes back to you in the morning, but you know, it's like this person seems to be rooted here in both, both places at the same time. I would even say they're probably more rooted there than here. But I, I, yeah, it's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good way of, of visualizing it, you know, in our own heads. These are obviously spiritual concepts. So his, the, 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 you know, the first thing that he, that he's, not the first thing, the main, um, physical description of this that he's using is the child-parent um, paradigm, as an example. But again, it's, it's sometimes hard to relate to that one, because you know, it's so, it's so it's idealized. Not the person that has just been like, okay, they were there, and now they stretched to here, and this connection has been dropped. No Correct. Been Still perfectly connected, and their consciousness exists below as it existed above, before it descended below. But simultaneous. Simultaneous. Correct. Yes, yeah. Alex. Um, I know uh, I had that chat earlier. I mean, clearly you are describing then those sons that uh, the souls that incarnate uh, without descending below at salute is clearly tzaddikim. Correct. Uh, yes, and 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 yet within the tzaddikim, I know there's the um, there's the complete and the incomplete tzaddik. And could you speak to is the is the complete tzaddik that the soul that not only is within Atsilut, but is within the, the chokhmah of Atsilut. 
um, from that perspective, can you speak to that? Yeah. That occurred to me. Yeah. When, you talk, when people talk about um, people, uh, individuals that live in the state of um, equanimity, um, that still be act with equanimity that is not affected by external yeah good for the good question good question that's still a behavior whereas that sadiq is not it be within equanimity would you say yeah and i want to address that in a second i want let me first close out because we're past the time and then i'm going to address that so stay right there um, so in conclusion, we're going to get back to that question about the specific types, two different types of tzaddikim, which is, which is going to be interesting and, and it is relevant to today, but it, it, we are beyond the, beyond the time. So in conclusion, today we spoke about the idea of souls and soul mapping. Where do souls come from? And what we discovered today is that all souls originate in the same place, but as they tumble through the various supernal realms, different souls take on different are affected differently by that journey. Some souls are very much affected by the journey. Some souls are not affected at all by the journey. In other words, they remain in that original divinely conscious state. Those souls that, are, that remain divinely, completely divinely uh, um, uh, conscious, conscious are the souls that we call the sun souls or tzaddikim, the child soul, the soul that is on, on board completely. Now this soul, again, it sounds like everything we've learned up until now, it sounds like this is the greater type of soul. This would be way more preferred to the soul that actually feels itself and struggles with right and wrong and struggles with the divine will and doesn't want to do half the time or more than half the time what God wants and is not on board directly and is not excited about doing it but feels like they have to do it. Like, oh, great, thank you very much, God, for imposing your will on my will. That would seem to be a way more inferior version as opposed to the one that we discussed today. The point of our text is to describe both and to reveal the advantage of the latter form of service, the service of the servant over the son. And with this, the goal of this text is going to be to infuse life into all of our non-sadik, all non-sadikim personas. Lest you think, oh, if I only was a tzaddik, I would be perfect. Now look at me. What, what's, you know, <laughs> great. What's my lot in life? Like, you know, where is this going? So this discourse is going to, uh, to, to, to completely turn everything on its head. We're going to discover the value, the true value of the servant soul. But all that is coming up. So just a quick note of, of, of scheduling. Next Sunday, we will not be meeting Thanksgiving weekend. I will be out of town. Um, please, God. Sorry. <laughs> I, if anybody wants to Zoom, happy to schmooze on Zoom. But, I mean, we're, we're going to take a pause uh, next Sunday, we will be back on in two weeks' time for the for Kabbalah Cafe, and we're going to pick it up with a conversation about the servant. It's we're just kind of laying out the ideas. This discourse is really magical. Today we did some soul mapping. I hope this inspires you, and in, in, in and all of us in our own way to uh, to gain a little bit of that consciousness because we all do have a little bit of sun inside of us. We have the ability to tap into this on a, on a small level. Thank you very much for joining. Shavua Tov. And we'll see you guys soon. All right, now, so you're all free to go. Alex, here we go. For those that want to listen to the answer. So basically like this. Tanya describes two types of souls. There's a tzaddik v'tovlo and a tzaddik v'ralo. There's a tzaddik to whom is good and a tzaddik to whom is not good. 
And the way he describes it is like this. The tzaddik is the one who has that perfection. But with imperfection, there's two forms. There's perfection that is perfectly perfect and perfection that follows the heels of imperfection. So I think we would say like this, that a tzaddik, who is the imperfect tzaddik, is the one who still has the consciousness of atzilut, but with a little bit of the, of the flavor of the lower worlds and the challenge that that, that, that imparts, but is predominantly not, not, not um, overwhelmed by, those, by, by that consciousness. Whereas the tzaddik, the perfect tzaddik, is one who literally does not have any hindrance from the lower world. It's perfectly true. Now, what's also very important, and I'll pull this up on the screen, what's also very important to note is what he says originally um, in describing the soul. Take a look at this. Take a look at this. He says like this. Um, look, this title is true because of their source on high since they derive from the inner dimension of the essence of the Ein Sof. That line is very important. The essence of the Ein Sof is not Atzilut. It's beyond Atzilut. And I think this is what you were talking about before. The essence of the Ein Sof is the core of God himself. Th these souls are coming from the essence of the Ein Sof. Not the Ar Ein Sof. Not the light of the Ein Sof. The Ein Sof himself. So it's the core of the core. But then he qualifies it in the wisdom of the supernal brain. And now he brings it down to Chachma. So the question is, which one is it? Is this, soul, is this soul coming from the essence of the Ein Sof or from Chachma? Two different realities. So my understanding is it ultimately comes from the essence of the Ein Sof, but it's the essence of the Ein Sof as it's being produced in Chachma. In other words, it's like where does a child come from? From the essence of the parent, but practically speaking, you know, from, biologically through a process. So it comes from the core, but through Chachma, then developed, and through the worlds, etc. So the truth is that the, the, the tzaddik souls, or these sun souls, are not just attuned with the Chachma, but because of that, very likely, they also are attuned with the Ein Sof itself, which is beyond. And I think that's, maybe that's the difference, whether you identify only with the Chachma and Bina Vatzilut, or even with what's beyond that, what's really driving that, because nothing just happens. Right? Even when we think about like ideas being generated, it's not like the idea generated just in Chachma. It's, it's our idea that Chachma is the process by which it develops. So, so to your point, even though I, I said today that the top of the chain is Chachma Vatzilut, that's not exactly true. The top of the chain is the essence of the Ein Sof. But the process is... So that, I just, but to not confuse, to not to do this in a confusing way, I just made it simple, either Atzilut or Bria, Yitzira or Asiya. Where's your consciousness? You have pure consciousness or devolved consciousness. That's, I just wanted to make it an easy continuum. The truth is all souls come from the essence of the Ein Sof. But again, these souls would probably have more of a recollection of that, right? Like, do you recall that source? So that's it. You are saying that there is a, if you call a level, there is that which is beyond absolute, which is the uh, essence of Ein Sof. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And in, and in the, the JLI course, that's where we're headed. I mean, the last, we're headed to the Ein Sof itself. I mean, we've talked about lots of stuff, including the R Ein Sof, the infinite light. But what about the infinite essence? That's, that's the core. That's the core.
could you might even say that that the complete Sadiq is one who's um, increasingly um, the soul is increasingly in touch with the essence of the Ain Sof, even beyond the level of Atsilut, of Hohmah Correct. 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 That's what I would posit. But but understand this. It's the Chachma and Bina of Atsilut that have a perception of the Ain Sof. And so therefore, the soul below has the same perception of what? Of God himself. Again, I, I was trying to keep it a little bit clean and not, not as... Uh, as, as, uh, as you know, as uh, um, whatever, as technical, but on a technical level, it's not technical, it's the wrong word, but on a very precise level, that would be more aligned. Yeah, and the reason I, I mentioned equanimity is because... By the way, I love that term, hishtavut. I love that. Yeah. Would you say that hishtavut is the same as equanimity? Yeah, for sure. Hishtavut means that you are an even keel. And that even keel is what we're talking about today. You are the same in Atzilut, you're the same in Asiya. You're the same all the way through. It's not like you were on fire with God above and now below, like you're, you're totally distracted by your own desires. You are as on board here as you were up there. That's the ultimate Hishtavut. Yeah, and what comes to me is that the Binyoni, Binyoni with equanimity, with, um, but with some effort, Correct. Versus Correct. Uh, that of uh, Correct. who acts effortlessly. Right, and we'll see that as we as we do a deep dive into the into the servant persona, we'll see how that um, experience. Uh, you know, there are some good days and some bad days. You know, when you're a servant, some days you wake up more motivated, some days less. Some days it takes a lot of effort. Some days a little bit less effort. So there's less hishtavut over there. All right, I'll, I'll let y'all go. You. Great to see you. Alex, great Thank to see you. you. Matt, great to see you. David, so glad you're joining. Fran, Andrar, Maritza, and we, we uh, a few guys, a few dro- uh, jumped off before, but it's great to see you guys. Happy holiday, happy Thanksgiving. You we'll too. see you all soon. Take care. Record. I came to report from the humor in the other room.